0: Hello, and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about French Exit. Um, We'll get into various things about this. The first thing I want to do is encourage people to see it. I really liked it. I really liked it. So that's a good way to start, because there's spoiler territory coming up, and there are surprises in the film. And it's kind of an oddball. So, Mm. So before we get into that, I do want to, you know, put that out there that this is worth seeing and I I'm really glad that we're back at the cinema because this is the kind of thing that we were seeing for the 3 years we were doing the podcast before lockdown because we had the unlimited cards we were seeing a lot of things that we wouldn't Ordinarily, bother to go and see, mm. right? We would take, we would just see, lots like the commuter or something like that. We wouldn't have seen that normally, right?
1: Yes, we didn't know anything about this film. In fact, we wondered if it was a French film.
0: Yeah, for some yeah. reason, I looked it up on Cineworld's website because it was available, and I just had a quick look at the sort of pricey that they'd put up, a bit of a blurb, and for some reason, I took out of it that it was a French film with a French director, and it's not nothing of the sort. It's a Canadian-Irish co-production. It's in English language. It's Michelle Pfeiffer and Lucas Hedges and a number of other yes. English-speaking actors. They go to France, and there's some French. ...spoken in it... ...but it's primarily English... Uh, ...the director's... ...not French... ...the director is... um, ...Azazel Jacobs... ...Azazel... ...Azazel... ...I'm not sure how to pronounce... ...the first name... ...son of Ken Jacobs... ...experimental filmmaker... ...he's an American director... ...it's based on... ...a novel written by Patrick DeWitt, who's a Canadian mm. author. And a recent
1: novel, which is interesting, because the novel was published in 2018. Yeah, So this has gone on the screen very quickly.
0: Yeah, this one of these that's been optioned, and mm. he's written the screenplay um, himself. So the point is, we were completely misinformed. And actually, I think we both expected very, very little from this. When we were saying, you know, I was saying on Facebook, I think this probably looks a bit shit. And you were saying, oh, I'm not interested in that. And I said, well, we should definitely see it for that reason, you know, Mm. because this is, let's go see it. Um, So I'm thrilled that it turned out to be interesting and kind of lively and surprising. Um, I mean, let's say from now on we're going to be into Spoiler Territory. I don't know how quickly we'll get into it, but we are going to be from now Mm. on, okay? We're going to talk about the events. The film is about Michelle Pfeiffer and Lucas Hedges play mother and son. Uh, she's a sort of formerly wealthy socialite. She's now a widow living in New York and Manhattan Bank takes the last of her money, basically. She's forced due to becoming destitute almost uh, or having the the last of her inheritance left. Yes, hardly destitute. It's true, hardly destitute, but she's down to her last kind of bag of money. 20 or 30,000 euros. (laughs) Yeah, she's she's having to sell all the art and sell all that. That's the kind of situation she's in. She's forced to rely on the kindness of a friend... Who has a flat in France... An apartment Mm -hmm. in Paris... They go and take up residence there... She goes with Lucas Hedges... Her adult son... And the film kind of... Meanders from... Oddity to oddity... Um, So there's this thing about... A psychic character... Who apparently can actually speak to the dead... Um, The soul of... Michelle Pfeiffer's dead husband turns out to be living inside her cat. Mm. And they can converse with it through seances, right? And what I love is that there is such a deadpan way that it happens. No one's that overly sceptical about it, but neither are they, like, devout true believers. It's just a thing that happens. They just have a seance and it works.
1: Mm. The film has a lovely tone, Mm. yeah, which is both kind of sad and melancholy and funny and creates a space of possibility where also the supernatural, in a certain sense, can take place. Yeah, yeah. and it's just um,
0: part of the same world.
1: Yes, um, and it's part of a real world, so it's not like a sci-fi film or a horror film. No, or, no. You know, it's just kind of... It's, it's the world of a bittersweet romantic comedy where your ex-husband is a cat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a curio, right? You know, I think... That there are elements of the film that are very camp, yeah, yes, that are very anti-main, you know, uh, in 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 the sense of the Rosalind Russell film and indeed, you know, the musical with uh, Lucille Ball, uh, you know, so it is in some ways about this indestructible, glamorous, you know, high living figure. But it's almost like the source material or something about it is very camp. The character that Michelle Pfeiffer plays of the mother is inherently,
0: I think, a camp character, right? How's, uh, do you mean there's something about about performance to her? Well, the
1: actions, right, this not caring about money, mm-hmm. you know, this being ultra glamorous, you know, her being like idolized by other women who mm. want to be like her but aren't. You know, this thing about, like, the stories that they tell about her where, you know, somebody said something nasty about her dead husband. She just took their drink and stared him down. Or, you know, I mean, so many elements of that, really. Or, you know, the waiter not coming in time and her setting the flowers on fire. I mean, it's yeah, very i Yeah, and cam- staring him down. And staring him down. So it's defiant and glamorous. And so it's almost like... The situations, which I imagine are from the source material, lend them our camp, but actually it's not filmed in a camp way. So.
0: No, I mean, I would. It's funny. The word camp didn't occur to me at all when thinking about that. What occurred to me was um, lightly psychopathic. uh, (laughs) Ah, well, because she has this kind of. The way that she responds to feeling wrongs is unconventional and surprising to people and like I say likely psychopathic you know lighting the flowers on fire isn't an outrageous it's not a violent act but it's crazy and it changes the, the the scene you know and she put she puts herself in charge of it very confidently well but
1: that's often the way that these camp figures these women who some people said are really like men in drag <laughs> yeah or gay men under disguise it's often like that you know they're out of place they're too wild they behave in an unexpected manner. They're completely unconventional. Mm. You know, In some ways, they're the envy of society, but also they're outside of society in some way. This all describes this character that Michelle Pfeiffer plays.
0: No, absolutely. I agree with that. But what, I'm, what I mean is there is a tonal difference between what makes that camp and what makes that psychopathic. Well, okay, so, <laughs> so,
1: but also I'm trying to say that there's a tonal difference yeah. between what the situations are And what the characters are and how they are filmed. Because I think, you know, definitely whatever camp element is in the material is sucked out of the filming. Yeah, it's subdued.
0: Yeah. And it's made... It's still... It's absurd, I suppose.
1: Yes, Um, but it's very gently absurd. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, Uh, The the bit that comes to mind for me is um, the dildo in the freezer. um, Which is a remarkable addition to that scene. So this is a woman who's from New York who's invited Michelle Pfeiffer and her son um, over uh, for a party, or they assume, and it turns out it's just her. She's very lonely. She wants to make a friend. This is one of the admirers that you've mentioned. Um, and they do actually develop a, a friendship, which is nice. Um, but at the time, they're very weirded out by her, you know, especially Michelle Pfeiffer's not, not being that nice to her. Lucas Hedges goes off to the freezer, just extricates himself from the from the room for a minute. Uh, I think he's getting a bottle of wine from the freezer or something. Sees this Iced over, frozen dildo in there. Goes back to Michelle Fireford says, "Look in the freezer. You'd be surprised." And they do. And obviously, the the woman doesn't know that they've gone to do this. And so it becomes this addition to the scene where I don't know about you, but I only speak for myself. When the woman came back into the room after having been in the kitchen, I was thinking, "Is the dildo still in the freezer?" (laughs) You know, because the conversation goes on and it's never mentioned. I'm just thinking, where is that dildo now? Well,
1: you know, that is also an element that made me think that there's a gay sensibility behind this. Mm. You know, because, you know, if you wanted to show that this woman who's very repressed and so on is sexually wild, which I think is the intent, Mm. or is open to sexual wildness, which I think is the intent of the dildo, you know... I th- I still think it would have been a different kind of dildo. This is almost <laughs> like the type of dildo that you see dildo that you see in gay sex shops, right? Which is like enormous, <laughs> enormous. It's reasonably big, yeah. But that, well, <laughs> yeah. it's not a
0: foot long, but
1: it's was, but it also it's, well, it's not a foot long, but it's half a foot wide.
0: <laughs> 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 so you know, I it's got some chunk to
1: it. Yeah, I I do think. That, you know, you could imagine, and, and it is that difference. I mean, when you see women talking about dildos or using dildos, it's a different kind of dildo. Well,
0: you're talking about vibrators, I think, because the thing is that dildo, this has a penis like uh, appearance. It's meant to look like a penis. Well, it's not the same with the vibrator.
1: No, but, you know, in, and I've seen it before in the, like, and summer shops or whatever, they do not look like the ones in the gay sex shops, which are
0: big. <laughs> I know, I've been trapped Amsterdam. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: anyway, I, I think I'm just here trying to establish this point that there is like a gay sensibility somewhere in this material that is not carried out fully in the film. And I'm not saying that's a fault with it. I'm just observing.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah that kind so it's something of, the film hints at.
1: Well, it's something that the film... Deploys but only to an extent. Yeah, right kind of I think it's somewhere. Well, I suspect it's somewhere in the source material Yeah, but the direction which I think we have to talk about what we mean by direction I think the film is visually very unexciting
0: Mm.
1: right, but there is something about the performances and the tone of the film that I think is a very considerable achievement.
0: I want to bring up the word tone, because this occurred to me. I I was thinking when we were walking back from the cinema just now, you know, tone is maybe the one thing that I really, really ascribe to direction above all else, because... Obviously, the director is, is ultimately in charge of everything, right? Mm. Makes decisions, all of that. But when we talk about performance, we're talking about the actors as well. You know, they they're directed, but they interpret the script. They make decisions that we credit them. Mm. When we talk about lighting, we're talking about the cinematographer as much as anyone. Mm. Um, and these people all have creative input, right? That's why they're there. But tone, there's no person in charge of tone, right? There's no job on the film like that. Is the director? The director is in charge of marshaling everything and creating tone.
1: Mm. I think, but they. Could- he or she does that through the performances and through the lighting. Exactly. Yeah.
0: But I'm saying, like, if there is this overall thing that is, it's more difficult to maybe pick apart than those you know, departments, if you mm. like. Sure. But yeah. that's what I think makes it an achievement. That's what I think makes it something you can ascribe to a director as well, particularly, mm. um, because it's it's about it's about putting it all together and creating something that is there's like a numinousness to it. Mm. You know, it comes out of all of this magically. And mm. I think the tone is really, really, really well handled here. It it's-
1: is. I wish the film were a better-looking film or a visually more exciting film because, you know, you have what I think are truly extraordinary, out-of-this-world, singular performance of a lifetime, <laughs> you know, Michelle Pfeiffer, I think, mm. you know, that takes place in this visual vacuum in which I must... You know, so I was I was delighted by what I see as her greatness. Yeah. You know, but actually I was sorry that she wasn't surrounded or supported kind of visually
0: by more. I know what you mean. It's unspectacular, but I don't think it's um, uncreative or, you know, it's been thought about, it's been considered. There are shots which are nicely composed. There are shots which are nicely framed. There are shots where the images, when she's walking off, Towards the end of the film, looking for her cat, and then you see the cat walking up behind her. That's a really evocatively lit and framed shot. I but liked. you know,
1: if you look at uh, I forget what the film with Kim Novak is, where she plays a witch with her cat. I don't know. Um, with James Stewart, you know, there are tons of shots like that, and they're so much more elegant and sleek and expressive. And well, you know, you know, this that? is a bit drab. The cat following. Yeah, you know, Michelle. I like the it. way I've... it's filmed. is quite drab.
0: I'm I. Drab is, I think, a slightly harsh way of evaluating that shot. You know, it really worked for me. I liked that there was a subdued feel to that, but it was still an emotional moment, you know, because the thing is, this cat, you we know, were now established by this point in the film that the cat contains um, the soul of her husband, and they've been having these arguments, essentially, in seances. You know, they're not really getting on. Mm. And things,
1: which is the uh, film I'm thinking about, by the way, is Bell, Book and
0: Candle. Right. Um, but that is a kind of final indication that there will be a reconciliation to this relationship, the cat following, I, I really enjoyed. And I liked that it happens from a distance, but it's privileged, you know, I like the, the cat in silhouette. I think it really works. It was very evocative to me, I liked that moment.
1: Yeah, well, I thought it was a bit drab. Mm. Um, particularly since, you know, once they land in Paris you know she's going to die. Like, you know, you're thinking, what is the way out of the situation? And in a way, kind of, there is no way out, right? Like, you know, so the question then becomes about what happens between her and the son and, yeah. Uh,
0: so- you, No, so do you take it as read that she dies at the end? Oh, yes. I don't at all.
1: No. No. Ah, well, I got, <laughs> that was completely my understanding. Why did you think not? She goes off into the night, no money left. The young girl who is the medium heads off in another direction because she knows what's going to happen. Mm. Uh, She stops the conversation precisely so that the husband will come after her. You know, and my understanding is that they both, you know, die together. That's kind of... Yeah. The film then shows us the next day, right? Like they're looking for. Her. They're looking for her. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she's gone.
0: Right. Yeah. The fact that she hasn't come back to me doesn't say she won't come back. I think it is. You, you sense a sequel in this. I, I sense a little. I don't sense that you are meant to read that as definite. It's certainly a possibility, and it's mentioned throughout the film that she writes a suicide note: "When the money goes, I will kill myself." But it's always kind of balanced back. Like she says, it was a bad day. I didn't, you know, I was dramatic.
1: Well, my whole interpretation of the film hinges on that. Right. You know, because I think, you know, she said her goodbye to her son. She's explained that the father was not that bad. She's explained her complex relationships to him. They've established a love for each other. Mm-hmm. So now both the husband and her, who hadn't wanted him in the first place, get out of his way so he can have a proper life. Because you've also seen True. throughout the film that she's a barrier to him having a fulfilled life.
0: That's true, and the film is called French Exit, Yeah. which is you know people may know that as an Irish goodbye, leaving without saying goodbye. Yes, um, which is what she does at the end. Yeah, so, so that's a clue in itself.
1: Uh, I kind of yeah. Uh, anyway, that's my reading of it, and I thought you know it was it was lovely. I, I loved the tone. I found it very funny. It's unexpectedly surprising. in in a minor key right like so there isn't any grand it isn't depicted as grandly you know so little things are hinted at yeah like the thing about the cat you know what he's like don't you so the film has a lovely tone it's very warm and engaging and sympathetic and michelle pfeiffer is so ultra languid and glamorous and you know you feel that every move in her face is deliberate and accentuates something and makes a point, right? Um, But also doesn't feel forced, yeah? Kind Mm. of, you
0: know, I think it's it's a really, it's a great glamour performance. Well, the moment she arrives on screen at the start is in a scene set from years before the main body of the film, when Lucas Hedges is maybe 12 years old at school and she goes to drag him out of school. She's claiming him back. You get the sense, right? You know, she, she, he, she's been away from him for a long time. She's dragging him out of school to have him. And she has this, you know, orange hair, red lips, white face, green dress. She's, she's this amazing kind of stern, magnificent mm. figure coming in and striding away. And I said to you at that time, like, she should be Cruella Deville. You know? uh, 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 yeah. She has that. <laughs> and, um, and early on as the film develops, and they're in, you're trying to work out what's happening to some degree, I suppose. It's not completely... Um, it, it's not like drowning you in dialogue about what's happening, but you do learn. Um, there's, a, there's a slowness. And I'm thinking, you know, it's interesting how slow this is, and yet I'm completely engaged, right? I do want to know what's happening. This is interesting. And also, I was being surprised by simply the fact that this was not the film I expected because of what we said earlier. We went into this knowing all the wrong things. Mm. you know, ima- Imagining all the wrong things about it. And then, you know, the, I like that these oddities develop and a lot of them are just these little small ideas that don't go too far, but they build an atmosphere. They build a tone. So there's the thing with the dildo. Never mentioned again, never comes back again. It just builds something in about the character, mm. what she's like and their relationship to her and their interest in her and in the
1: wildness
0: yeah there's a lovely thing where lucas hedges ex fiance i suppose or on off ex fiance it's a weird relationship she comes in with her new fiance and he's desperate to 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 fuck lucas hedges up and prove himself and so on. and he forces lucas hedges into this arm wrestle and lucas hedges just doesn't fight back gives up every time and it's a nice idea and he's getting frustrated that he's not fighting and so lucas hedges says if I win, you leave. On your own. And so they arm wrestle again. And he just gives up again, which I didn't expect. Yeah, and he so goes, okay, so. Oh, so what do I win then? Nothing. Everything's exactly <laughs> the same. And what a wonderful, like, surprising way of doing it. But also, the mum laughs. Mm. And, and we've heard the story about her staring the guy down and drinking his drink when he insults mm. her. And we've seen the, her lighting the flowers on fire and staring the guy down. And this is his version of that he's Mm. taken that on Mm. and it's the first time you've actually seen him really fight for something Mm. he's you've seen him mourn the loss of the relationship with his girlfriend and kind of on the phone try and beg for it Mm. but it's not strong you know he just like when she says please leave he does leave he doesn't there's no fighting in it and now this is his version of standing up for himself but it's in this subverted way it's so great and actually i think what what lucas hedges brings
1: to the role is a a kind of a realness in terms of feeling. You know, because actually I never feel that Michelle Pfeiffer is a real person. You know, she's always an imaginary construct, right? You know, imbued with, you know, the glamour and so on. And and the feeling that Michelle Pfeiffer brings, I think is a truly great... Are you talking
0: about just her character here or always Michelle Pfeiffer? No, no,
1: just the character as depicted here right you know I don't think it's a real person it's a fantasy idea of Mm. a woman right with drag queen overtones which is where the (laughs) Cruella (laughs) de Vil thing makes also (laughs) a certain kind of sense so you know Michelle Pfeiffer imbues her with humanity and with her own glamour which is important this is a a role that requires glamour yeah it's kind of Mm. you know this whole person's previous life is built on her having been a glamorous figure Mm -hmm. you know um, but there's something about Lucas Hedges that feels just really that's, that's just real. That's just about feeling, yeah, rather than about a type of person, you know. Mm. Yeah. So his conversations with his girlfriend, his interactions with his mother, his politeness with you know the other people, mm. uh, the way he jumps into bed so quickly with <laughs> you know the media, Madeline, yeah. Mm uh, and you feel like his understated glee at it. Yeah. You know, like he conveys emotion in a kind of a very direct way. And yet the emotions are kind of complex. Yeah. So I think he also gives a very great performance actually, mm. um, of a very different kind than Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, because partly because Michelle Pfeiffer knows the camera better. Right. So her performance is often about tilts of the head, you know, how she moves into the camera, like mm. yeah, at a certain angle of her face. It's it's a very um, it's a film that's very aware of, of cinema, yeah. Whereas Lucas is uh, Hedges is not, yeah. It's almost like it's almost like the camera's catching him, whereas Michelle Pfeiffer is performing to the, ca- to or the with camera with the camera,
0: yeah. But that's a difference in the characters, too. That makes sense. It's know. a difference in His, the characters, and...
1: but it's also a difference in knowledge and skill. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, obviously they're both very good actors, but Michelle Pfeiffer has an understanding of cinema and lenses and lighting and proximity to yeah, Cameron and so on that Lucas Hedges does not yet.
0: Maybe. Maybe that's the case. He is young. But it, it, does, it does suit the character. as If he did know more, as you put it, or as I might more charitably put it, was doing more, you're choosing to do more, it wouldn't be right for the character. It's not a
1: question of doing more or doing less. It's a doing it in relation to the camera. Well,
0: that's that's what I mean. That's, yeah, It wouldn't be right for the character.
1: Michelle Pfeiffer is not doing very much. It's it's No, but
0: you notice those things, yeah, you, you mentioned, do. you yeah. do. And I think you would notice it with him and it wouldn't, wouldn't be the same. Maybe. He's a retiring, reserved, he wants to hide. So many scenes you see him, particularly when the flat gets... For the people, which is a surprise in itself, I think, mm. after you've seen like three people max on screen for so much of it. Most of it is he's sat there in a chair, being very still, having no lines of dialogue, he's just in the background. Like that's yeah. his character sinks into the in those things. One of the
1: achievements of the film
0: Well I was gonna say, what's the film about? You know. Yes. What
1: is it about? Because it's clearly about money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost
0: an interesting relationship with the homeless. Exactly.
1: Almost overly romantic. So, you know, it ha- it theoretically has this anti-money uh, stance, right? You know, I, money's not important because uh, with 20 you, know, $20, you can have your smokes and your wine and look at the stars and be fine, you know? Yeah, but on the other hand... It moralizes it. So somebody's good because they take some money and not all of it. And then someone is kind of like a dangerous crook because they just grab it all. And yeah, so I think the film has a weird morality around it and also a kind of a hypocrisy around it. So, you know, the way that the protagonist is burning through it is a kind of, you know, bohemian disdain for it. You know, on the other hand, the film tries to show you all of the glamour of money. Yeah, it's in Paris, and you know, so so mm. I think kind of there's a, a disjunction there for me.
0: I'm not sure glamour is the word i associate with it because the way she burns through the money is, um, I mean, she burns through it like someone who is heading towards her last days. But um, um, but that's
1: well, but that's true. But the thing is that in terms of an audience appeal. You know, her clothes, her jewels, her haircut, the Paris apartment, the streets of Paris, the cafes. I mean, you know, those are all things that are beyond, you know, most people's uh, means. So the film shows you all of that whilst telling you that money's not important.
0: It does to a degree, but it hardly shows it off, which I think is what would sell that. You know, it's, it's, it's the world that she's living in, but it's subdued. And it is
1: subdued. On the other hand, you know, there's that whole shopping thing about buying, you know, spice, spending $2,000 on groceries, you know, where they show you the shop and show you the wine, you know, and get the cheese board. You know, they, they
0: don't show, though, you know, that's that's, it, I mean, it's a shot that's essentially a two shot in that supermarket of the two ladies. They're not showing off the produce, and they're hardly in Harrods either,
1: you know. Um, I, I, they're in a Paris shop that has five hundred dollar, five hundred euro bottles of wine. I
0: know, but they're hardly showing it.
1: I, off, get, I, I get what you mean. You know, there's no close-ups of the glistening. What's the word? What's the spice that you use in paella? Yeah. You know, but it says you can never have too much of that. Buy three saffron. Saffron, but it's it is made something of. I mean, you know, it's not shown to you in close-up. But you have to kind of get three of those. I
0: think it also comes down to the performance. You know, Michelle Pfeiffer is hardly. Thrilled over this, you know, it's something that she's no, doing, she's trying to, to spend
1: the money as quickly as possible. Yeah, so, can so that's, off herself as quickly as possible.
0: So I think it, it, you know, what glamour there is in the expensive things that she's buying, the expensive life that she living, she's living is undercut completely by the tone. I
1: don't, I don't think completely for the viewer, right? And of course, the film makes. Uh, uh, I mean, you can see that it was shot on very little money, you know, but. It's interesting that they go to Europe on an ocean line, crew, you know, on an ocean liner, right? With all the glamour that that connotes of you know interwar travel, right? That they live, you know, in Manhattan, uh, you know, kind of overlooking Central Park, right? That they then go on to Paris. These things are inherently glamorous, and the film shows them to you.
0: Glamorous again, I don't agree with the cruise ship at all. I mean, what we see of the cruise ship is a dance floor that looks like you know a nightclub in Blackpool. We see a casino that looks like a club in Blackpool. That is true. Um, We see two very underwhelming rooms that they're staying in. You know, well, threadbare sheets. You also,
1: you also see her in a deck chair. You know, like in a typical. You do see that. Uh, So I think that is true. That there is something that the film is doing that undercuts this. So there's this idea, you know, of an ocean liner and then the reality of a cheap cruise ship or something you know so i think the film is doing something with that um but you know it's it's still deploying ideas of glamour yeah that require money yeah in all of that so, well i
0: agree I, I mean i think that's where i would land though it's deploying them and undercutting them the way it deploys them well purpose, uh, purposefully i think it's trying to undercut them and this is what I think is something that's hypocritical
1: about the film because mm. it's saying these things don't matter but actually they really do and the film itself is using them mm. you know in, in, in interesting ways so um, anyway I thought it was lovely I wouldn't say it's very good I mean I did bother me that the film feels thin visually that they could have done more visually with it but I thought the performances are magical and the tone is magical actually
0: I agree with you not the greatest film in the world it has its issues But it's funny, it's interesting, it's surprising, Mm. and it's a nice place to be for a couple of hours. Yes, I really loved watching it. Uh, So thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at eavesdropmovies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. shit, I think something just, maybe one snapped. Uh, well, if it snapped, you know. At the
1: bottom, one of the
0: springs, maybe. Maybe. It doesn't matter. So, I
1: mean, I, you know, I need a new sofa, but uh, um, I thought that one would last for a
0: while. <laughs> It has lasted, to be fair, for four years of me sitting on it. No, that's all right. You know? So, um, go on. Yeah, well, look, like, I, I think I've lost weight. But that did not fool the couch, apparently.